0: Hello and welcome to the latest instalment of the Empire of the Cop podcast. Just the two of us here today, we have the senior editor of Flashscore, Steve Carson, and I'll be your host, Farrell Keeling. Steve, thanks again for, for coming on. How are you keeping? Yeah, not too well. It's, uh, you know,
1: Liverpool have, have, have turned a corner, it seems, and it's brilliant. You know, I was, I was a bit worried after, you know... The Rangers game and a bit of an easy, a bit of an easy game for us, I would say. Um, and then City's a big event, and you know coming up against West Ham, I was thinking it's a bit different from them too. It's not a big event, they're not pushovers. Going to be a bit of a difficult one, but you know, see Liverpool when it was uh, it was great. What have you made of it?
0: Yeah, no, I think it's been a very, a very interesting week, and not not just purely uh, from a footballing uh, perspective, but also from a sort of vague sort of social uh, perspective we'll get we'll get off that shortly of course we 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 have to touch on the whole uh, xenophobia nonsense uh, comments but of course the less less breaking news than it was a few hours ago is of course that Steven Gerrard has lost his job at Aston Villa he's been sacked after a 3-0 defeat to Fulham um I, I think it was kind of a reaction we could sort of see coming there were already whispers um in in the in the Proceeding weeks that he was under pressure uh, for the performances at Aston Villa. You know they're looking like they're heading towards a relegation fight, and I think you know there's talk already that they want to bring Pochettino in. But obviously, it's you've got to convince, you've got to be careful sort of how you convince a manager in that situation because they've got quality there, but it's it's a it's a tough job. Um, I just wanted to sort of pick your mind on it because when, when we sort of when Gerald sort of first took the job, there was a great deal of I suppose expectation. Surrounding it, you know he, he brought the title back um, to Rangers in, in quite sort of difficult sort of circumstances he's obviously also lost sort of key men around uh, the operation Michael Beale, who to many was the brains behind the operation I think um, perhaps Gerard's sort of closest um, comrades might may, may deny that uh, but then you've also got to consider things I think the three sort of signings he made in the summer were also have been injured so I think it's perhaps a bit harsh, isn't it, just to say that he's simply not good enough for the job or his tactics let him down. Would you say that's a fair assertion?
1: Yeah, it's it's a difficult one with Gerard. Um I mean, obviously, as Liverpool fans, we're going to look at him with Rose into the glasses. He was a phenomenal footballer for us. Um and you know as a manager he, he he done well at Rangers as far as we can tell as well he done he done all right with the the youth squad at Liverpool, um but he's you know he's he's not had a good time at Aston Villa and you know I think I think a big part of it is whether whether it's his fault or whether it's. Just been the boards at both clubs. He doesn't seem to have been able to completely invest himself in either project at Rangers or Aston Villa. He found more success at Rangers, of course, but obviously that's a massive club in Scotland. He's going to get more resources. At Aston Villa, the players that he brought in, it's not been a success. Clearly, he didn't really buy into the whole idea of Aston Villa. I don't know whether Gerrard looked at it and saw it as an opportunity, maybe a stepping stone for him. Uh, I'm not sure what his long-term goal is. He's obviously spoke about Liverpool before, and I think you know there's, there's definitely feelings of admiration at Liverpool. But I don't know whether long-term it's realistic that he could become Liverpool manager. We'll have to see how he goes. Of course, he's he's still a very young manager going forward. You know, he'll craft himself a little team. Obviously, it was it was um, great for him to get Neil Critchley. Who, a bit of a surprise, to be honest with you, that he, he took such a role to work effectively underneath Gerard after going and becoming a, a successful manager in his own right. So I think going forward, there's still a lot of promise about Gerard as a manager, but he needs to either apply himself into a project and really grab it by the, the, the scruff of its neck or um, the boards that he works with need to back him a little bit more but of course, he, he does need to prove himself uh, in the Premier League for that to happen in the Premier League. He's not going to just walk into one of the top jobs. Which you know, I, I don't know what his mindset is, but obviously, he was a phenomenal footballer. Um, but as a manager, so far, you know, hit and miss. Um, you know, we've done a great job at Rangers, as I've said, but obviously, it's not worked out at Villa. And I think it would be unfair not to pin that on Gerard because it didn't go to plan. His signings didn't work. He didn't buy into the project, I don't think, and it's not worked. Um, but obviously, hopefully, whatever he does next, he, he you know he he bounces back. It, it would be good to see him succeed. Um, but I think maybe a little break might now be the idea for Delah, because it's been quite intense since since he retired. He's been you know Liverpool to Rangers to to Aston Villa. I think you know could just do it a little bit of time to just go away and just you know recollect himself and then maybe get stuck into a job. Um, like, we, we, you know, Lampard at Everton at the minute, for example. Lampard has really grabbed that by the scruff of its neck. If we see Gerrard do that at another team of that level, uh, I think it would be brilliant uh, as Liverpool fans. But, of course, um, you know, at the minute, Gerrard just needs to take some time for himself, I think.
0: I think Klopp would agree with you there. He, he was speaking about uh, uh, the former Liverpool player saying, I hope Steven takes some time now. He's pretty much worked since he retired from playing former Liverpool boss Brendan Rodgers also said he was bitterly disappointed to see Steven Gerrard lose his job. Um, I, I think I completely agree with you there. I think whatever Gerrard does now, he definitely needs to take some time sort of away just to think about his next move. He can't just jump in to another job. I, I, th- I think the temptation is going to be there to sort of go, look, look, I can I can prove myself here. This is just a blip. But I think, yeah, I think if he jumps into anything too soon, he just risks sort of repeating that sort of same Results, even even taking perhaps a smaller job in a, in a different league in Europe might might just do him the the world of good just to get that experience. I mean, he's admitted himself, you know, part of the reason why he brought in Michael Beal, who, who's an extremely well regarded coach. I think that he's currently got QPR at the top of the championship, so you can see those credentials in action. Uh, part of the reason he brought Michael Beale in was because he acknowledged, you know, he he doesn't know anything. I think initially, I think we we saw that as as being a similarity to Klopp and sort of going, look, I don't know anything hence why I've got this expert, this expert, this expert and this expert. Um, but I think he definitely probably could do with working on his craft a bit more, where, wherever that takes him in, in Europe. I, I certainly hope he doesn't uh, jump at the next opportunity that comes his way because everyone, you know, even after the, the Villa debacle, will want a bit of Gerard purely because of his name. Um, more than anything else, perhaps. Uh, But yeah, one incident, I have to say, from the 3-0 loss uh, to Fulham that somewhat sticks out from a Liverpool perspective is the penalty that Michael Oliver handed out after Alexander Mitrovic struck Matikash on the arm with a shot inside the box. Very similar, eerily similar, some might say, uh, to the handball that wasn't given to Liverpool in the 3-2 defeat to Arsenal when Diogo Jota's cross struck Gabriel's arm even it was in an arguably unnatural position. Two similar sort of circumstances and yet two very different results. Same referee, Michael Oliver, gave the penalty to Fulham. Um, it, it bothers me, I have to say, Steve, probably more than it should, because it's just week after week of total inconsistency in the decisions being made on the pitch. And when you're hearing reports that... Junior officials are scared of challenging uh, the men on the pitch even when they 're in the position of var, and they have a, a you know a bird 's eye view of the pitch they can see clearly what's going on because let 's be honest you know officials aren 't on the pitch aren 't going to catch everything and um, that 's just the reality and that 's fine. we accept that, but we have this technology for a reason but you combine all those factors together and it just it 's very difficult for fans from a grassroots level to beyond to take officiating. Vaguely seriously, when they know this is happening on a day-to-day basis.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a very difficult one to think for for the referees. Like, there's not a lot of people that will try and side with the referees. I don't think in in this scenario. But um, I think they just, I mean, they've had VAR for a number of years now. I think they probably should be better adapted to it. And the state of officiating in the Premier League anyway is pretty poor. Uh, I think Anthony Taylor might be the worst of the lot um, after seeing his recent performance. But yeah, you do need that consistency, like you say. But I think that, I think these referees are juggling so many ideas. Like if you look at the, if you listen to commentators about the football certainly a lot of the older ones they'll talk a lot about allowing the game to flow and the sort of they hate the game getting stopped for you know periods of of checking things and stuff like that and you know if the referee can play the advantage and, and so on but at the end of the day the game's evolving it's it's not the way it was we've got the technology now to make sure that all the decisions get done correctly so it's not really much of an excuse of not allowing these decisions to actually be made. Like um, in the West, uh, Liverpool-West Ham game, for example, um, it got pulled back for the uh, Joe Gomez's foul on, I think it was Lanzini. Uh, and it was the right decision. Joe Gomez did foul him. Um, but, you know, if it, it, a referee that is just looking to maybe... Um, let the game run. We'll probably just go. Ah, you know, I didn't really think, and then leave it there. But you need this level of consistency. Like you've pointed out, the handballs there and the handball Liverpool versus Arsenal. You know, carbon copies of each other. Like you say, why isn't the decision the same? There's definitely pitfalls in the officiating of the Premier League. I think the referees might be overthinking it. I think they might be trying to appease everybody. Whereas they just need to do their job and they need to do it properly. Uh, I'm not a referee. I don't know. I would crumble if I if I was in their position, but they're meant to be the best in the Premier League. So why are we seeing these mistakes? Why don't you see the same level of mistakes when we go to the Champions League and we get their referees? You know Why don't we see these errors in La Liga, Serie A? Why is it better over there, worse over here? For whatever reason, the Premier League officials are pretty poor. And in Scotland, uh, I think it's next season, Um, They're bringing in VAR, um, so we'll see how their referees uh, manage. And then I think that'll be an interesting comparison because they will be very fresh to the technology. And if they're able to appease the um, allowing the game to flow sort of archaic shout, which it's nice to see the game flow. And I, I also hate it when the game is stopped. Uh, particularly when it's a goal and it's like VAR review, let's check something. And you see the players are just like stood around going, oh, what's going on? You know, just to touch upon that as well. Very nice to the week to see uh, Mo Salah still celebrating with Harvey Elliott while he was waiting to see if he'd scored his goal. Uh, it was nice to see that. I think that's, I think that's important. At the end of the day, technology needs to be place because it's going to stick around. The m- most important thing to football is decisions are correct at the end of the day, if you have to wait an extra 10 seconds here, an extra 15 seconds there, but the decision is correct. That's a lot more important than letting the game flow. But, you know, I think we've probably got the worst elite referees in the Premier League around the world. and um, So something needs to change, and I'm not sure what it is. Uh, I have no idea, but somebody needs to think of a solution.
0: No, I think that's the main point, though, isn't it? it it's it, The problem isn't so much that they're performing badly, but it's, it's the fact that it's happening in what... Many perceive to be the best league in world football. It just doesn't. It just doesn't match up. We're bringing all this quality in, in terms of the coaching, in terms of the players, in terms of just backroom staff. You know, it, it's absolutely incredible the amount of quality we have across the board in the Premier League. But then the total mismatch with with the officiating teams that we've got. So it just it doesn't make any sense. Maybe it's something that needs to be. Addressed from a grassroots perspective, maybe more funding needs to go in, into how we're sort of recruiting and training uh, young referees. But um, it, it's clear that attitudes won't change until the quality improves. Because I think, you know, everyone says we need, we need to respect referees and absolutely we shouldn't be encouraging managers like Klopp to shout and uh, torments officials on the pitch. But you can understand where they're coming from when the decision-making is not even rarely. It's consistently poor. Um, so we'll, we'll see on what happens on that front. Um, it's not the first time that Klopp's been criticised for his, his actions, of course. Um, comments he made prior to the game about the financial realities uh, of teams um, across, across the English top flight and, and much beyond that, realistically. Um, well, he... Yeah. A bit, a bit bizarre. I think we can all fairly say what the response was was to those comments. Um, he was cu- accused of borderline xenophobia uh, from someone, a mysterious figure at Manchester City, who briefed uh, reporters about uh, their, their thoughts on the matter. Um, it's, it's a topic that's been done to death, um, but I think it's obviously important that we address this here because, as every Liverpool fan will be more than aware of, the. the The idea that Jurgen Klopp is is xenophobic is is offensively the complete polar opposite uh, to his character. I think he certainly came out afterwards and said, well, my comments have been misunderstood again. You know, I'd hate myself if I was a xenophobe. It's just not who I am. And it's frustrating that he even has to come out and say this. And a discussion, a fair and objective discussion um, about the financial disparities between the top sides in England... Um, has been transformed into uh, into this discussion about whether one of the the world's greatest managers is a xenophobe.
1: Yeah, I mean, simply put, whoever whoever leaked that line to the press and put out borderline xenophobia is a shit house. I think that's the simplest way of putting it. At the end of the day, they've they've seen a, 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 a criticism of how a club is run and. They've just gone on the complete offensive about it. And, you know, I can understand that they might might not like that criticism, but it's important that people are allowed to criticise the way things are done, particularly football clubs where so much money's involved. And politics is never far away from football. We as Liverpool fans know that probably more than most. You know, it's much more than just, a couple of lads, a couple of women kicking a football around, you know there's more to it than that, there's off the field stuff, you know if you, there's an excellent article by Miguel um, Delaney at The Independent, uh, if, you, if you go on to uh, The Independent and, and search for Klopp it'll come up, it's, it's uh, Miguel saying Jürgen's right you know, we, we need to be able to criticise um, p- people in, in power effectively, particularly uh, the owners of um, Football clubs such as Manchester City, PSG, and Newcastle, um, for example. Um, yeah, it's it's awful, and the suggestion that Klopp is xenophobic. I mean, I, I, quite rightly, he's he, he's armed up and he and he's gone after them on legal grounds uh, on the on these suggestions that he that he's xenophobic because that's that's just that's liable. You know, they've gone after his reputation because he's criticised how they operate as a football club and you know it's it's not far in this discussion where you know you end up talking about sports washing you know and and, and this type of deflection is sort of in 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 the bubble or, si- or a similar related bubble you know these football clubs um, i'm going to use i'm going to use newcastle as an example because their manager has been quite forthright in coming out and saying that Jurgen doesn't understand what he's talking about which I've got a feeling he does. Um, but, you know, when you think about a football club owned by, effectively, you know, the royal family of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, they can use Newcastle as as a tool. All the horrific things that happen underneath the royal family in Saudi Arabia, you know, um, and I'm not criticising absolutely everything they do, but there are some things there that obviously... Um, Crimes against humanity. You read about it in the news. You hear first-person accounts. We know some of the bad things that's happening over there. Journalists go missing. Journalists end up dead. There's, it's a big problem. But then the royal family are able to get Newcastle and use them as a, a like a toy. To to be like, oh yeah, you know, this horrific thing happened, but we're creating all these jobs in Newcastle in the north, in the northeast of England. You know, we're doing this, we're doing that, and you know, oh, the women's team is now doing so much better, and it's just, yeah. I mean, effectively, I'm I'm explaining uh, very briefly sports washing, but you know, we've got to be able to come out and criticise the owners of these football clubs, especially when they're just pumping money into the club. We're not seeing it just yet at Newcastle, but we have seen it at Man City. Give it 10 years, Newcastle will be at the top at Man City. And those two will probably end up being the the Bayern, the Juventus, the, the the PSG. Not to taint all those clubs, with the same brush in terms of how they finance themselves. Um, but they're the powerhouses of their leagues. And Man City and Newcastle are on their way. City are already there, of course. Newcastle are on their way up as well. And, you know, it's just... It's, it's a nightmare, the state of affairs, but whether you know, agree or disagree with it or whether you look at sports watching and go, ah, whatever, you know, and you just want to focus on the lads on the pitch, which you absolutely can go with the game and just watch the lads on the pitch and, and just go, ah, and have a few beers after the game. That's fine. doesn't need to be any more to you. But at the end of the day, when a manager wants to come out and criticise how these clubs, you know, uh, are ran, um, then, yeah, he needs to be able to say these things and then... Suggestions that he's xenophobic just because he's expressing his opinion. Not get me wrong, you definitely could end up down a xenophobic route if you, you know, because um, we're, we're talking about owners that are all found in the Middle East. So you could, you could find yourself on some very, you know, thin ice there. But what Jurgen said is not xenophobic. Uh, he came out and he's just criticised the ownership, which I agree with. Um, and as I say. The ramblings that I've done there is a lot more cohesive in uh, Miguel Delaney's article in The Independent. Uh, if anyone's still listening after that, I've just moaned for about two minutes there, go and read that article. It explains it a lot better than I just did. But, yeah, I'm actually going to throw it
0: back to you, Phil. Um, What have you made of it all? You know, what's, what's your thoughts and feelings? I mean, the thing that struck me as most interesting was the fact that Klopp didn't go into the detail of going, right, club A, club B... Linked to X regime, Y regime, they've done this, that, and the other, and all this nasty, nasty stuff that we can all agree, um, you know, from a civilized perspective, is wrong. You know, you, you're you're harming people. You're you're denying people basic human rights. We can all agree, objectively, it's wrong. cop uh, didn't go down that route. He just went, you know, top layer, purely footballing perspective. The Liverpool can't compete with Manchester City from a financial perspective, which isn't subjective. It's an objective fact. Liverpool can't compete from a financial perspective. Similarly to, New- to Newcastle, even-, even though the denials have been made, there is a clear disparity in terms of the financial power available to them compared to other clubs who don't have their specific backing. So Klopp went with the top-layer explanation of why it's difficult for clubs like Liverpool to compete with clubs like Manchester City, which is perfectly objective and isn't delving into things like geography or the specifics of the regimes behind the clubs that are, as as you've um, eloquently explained, um, are funding these clubs for the purposes of sports-washing whether these clubs and their spokespeople are prepared to admit that or not. So a top-layer explanation, which really shouldn't have annoyed anyone. The fact it has annoyed um, someone at Manchester City does suggest that, A, Klopp is absolutely bang on the money because the truth does tend to annoy. Um, And that someone is is very, very paranoid about what that comment and the discussions that follow, uh, how they'll sort of take shape and any sort of criticism that sort of bounces off of that. Um, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, personally, I think Klopp would have been absolutely... It would have been fair game to point out these clubs are funded by X, Y and Z. They're linked to these regimes. We know they're linked to these regimes. We know what these regimes get up to. I don't think, even then, that would have been xenophobic to suggest the maddening thing is Klopp didn't go into that detail. He said, right, I'm just going to stick to a footballing perspective. And here's the reality of how the financial disparity across these clubs affects their ability to compete. Just from that angle. And just said that. And then suddenly xenophobia uh, pops up. It was, it, was, it was very, very Corbyn-esque, um, I have to say, in terms of the, the reaction just to something which frankly wasn't particularly radical. Uh, to say, but um, so I, I don't know. I, I think it infuriated a lot of Liverpool fans, and I'm sure it infuriated Jurgen's family, um, knowing him personally, knowing his belief system. Um, but you know, I think it, it's as you say. I'm, I'm glad, and I think he was absolutely right to seek legal action over that because it is ultimately his character and his reputation that have come under attack for making comments that are objectively, completely accurate. Um, we'll see how that all plays out of course but it's it's important that I think it's an important first step to sort of taking back the conversation to the somewhat murky waters that Klopp was was delving in but rightly delving in from a football perspective um had to be said um and it was going to be said by someone sooner or later and Klopp's just the first person that's come into the firing line for it um We'll, we'll move on. I feel like we could, we could really sort of delve into this for the next hour or so. Um, but yeah, um, the West Ham game. So a 1-0 win, uh, back-to-back 1-0 wins against Manchester City and West Ham uh, United. The first time we've done that since August. So quite a while and hopefully a signal of intent for how we hope to end the first half of the season before the Qatar World Cup comes around. The objective is to get back into the top Four. And that's certainly looking like more than a possibility. With I think it's four Premier League games remaining. I believe um, Nottingham Forest next before the World Cup. Um, Nunez and Alison Becker starring in that one nil win. Um, I just want to grab your thoughts on Darwin N- Nunez because the, the the talk around him that the. the, the the rationale around seems to have changed quite considerably. You had those early comparisons to Erling Haaland, and then you had the suspension, and then suddenly those comparisons began to look silly. Through no fault of his own, I think he needed to build up the rhythm and the the games. And obviously, that comes with being selected and being consistently selected. Um, but he's looked, he, 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 I mean, he's looked like pure chaos on the pitch hasn't he? He's so completely different to anything we've had of late, sort of under Jurgen Klopp. The goal was, I think, a a very well taken header from Akosha Shimika's corner. Um, And then it was just Liverpool sort of holding on for dear life for much of the the second half. Um, What what did you make of the game and and Nunez in particular? First, I'll just get to to, to
1: Nunez. And and it's, you know, the, the comparisons to Erling Haaland were. In the beginning, I don't think it was very many Liverpool fans that were actually pushing it. But I mean, there would have been some, of course. At the end of the day, high-profile striker, you know, big fella, strong, quick. At the end of the day, the Liverpool Sam a fella that fits that you know bracket, and Manchester City signed one as well. But Al a freak of nature. He's an unbelievable footballer. He's a future Ballon d'Or winner. He's you know, he's all these things. Um, and and um you know Darwin Nunez could, could very well go the same way, but Harland <laughs> hit the ground um sprinting beyond belief. Um and you know it's it's <laughs> he's he's just a freaking acid. He's an unbelievable footballer, and it's a shame he's playing for Man City from from our perspective. Um but Nunez an unbelievable footballer in his own right, and he's proved that at Liverpool consistently so far. Um in terms of whether he's a clinical finisher, that's where maybe he's not really proved himself too much so far. But he does seem to be getting there. Um, he's getting the goals. He's been one of our most um, chaotic forward outlets um, this season so far. Uh, you know, Salah's really coming into his game now, and I think that's gonna that's gonna help Nunez. Of course, it would. You know, Salah seems to be a bit more of a creative role this season, perhaps. But yeah, I'm very excited about Nunez. Um he has this there's something about him. Um if if he if if I looked at him on FIFA, I can almost guarantee that it would say underneath has that special something. That would be would be how I'd describe him. There's just something about him. He seems to attract chances, and his movements is unbelievable. He gets himself in pockets of space and he can just fire off a venomous shot out of nothing, and it's he's brilliant, he can head the ball, he can he can boot the ball, left-footed, right-footed, he, he's got everything, he's dead quick, dead strong, skillful. Uh, maybe maybe his head can go a little bit too much, I mean, that's probably a little bit unfair because, you know, he got the red card, had he not got that red card, maybe I wouldn't feel that way, but that's that's gone now, you know, he's probably had conversations with, with Klopp and, and the team and He does seem to be a bit more controlled now. There's a couple of times in the West End game where he was getting stuck in and people were getting stuck into him. But there was no reaction or lash out, which we saw in the first few games where he was a bit more, you know, almost looking for a fight without actually, you know, um, starting a fight. But he always looked up for it. Um, He seems to have calmed a little bit now. Um, So very excited about Nunez. No surprise at all. You can you can see it. We saw it when he, when Benfica came to Anfield. He was just an absolute menace. Um, and yeah, he's 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 the same at Liverpool. He's settled in rather quickly. Haaland, a freak of nature, looks like he's played for City for ten years. But at the end of the day, playing in front of playing in front of Kevin De Bruyne, will we'll definitely do that. But obviously, we are talking about a man who'll probably win the Ballon d'Or in the next two years. But yeah, Liverpool, West Ham. Liverpool in that first half, Nunez was probably the the star of the show. Um, but yeah, it was it was a great performance by Liverpool in that first half. We absolutely dominated the game, and I was worried. Um, I don't know how uh, we didn't score more. Uh, Nunez smashing the post, you know that would have been an unbelievable goal. <laughs> um, but he'd already scored, you know, a lovely header from as you say, a great cross by Costas Simakas who, uh, by the way, you know, continues to be probably the best back left-back in the world. Um, unbelievable. Uh, a bit of play down that left-hand side, which is nice to see because quite often it's the right-hand side where we do find more creativity. Um, yeah, I mean, that, the second half, obviously, was like night and day. Uh, West Ham, uh, it seems that immediately after um, the saved penalty, which they quite rightly were, were awarded after Gomez, Favolanzini, um, they just seem to have a bit... of bit more about them, bit a bit of extra 10%, bit more in the tank. They seem to want it more than Liverpool after that. And Alisson was just not allowing them to have that. Uh, he stopped everything. Obviously, Van Dijk and Gomez played very well as well, as did all the defenders, uh, to keep uh, a clean sheet after that. Fair play to them. Uh, as a team, what? What a win? Um, Clock changes did not do a- a Liverpool any favours whatsoever, uh, <laughs> mind you. You know, you, you, there's there's many reasons why that might have been the case, but I think West Ham were already just going for our throats. Um, so at the end of the day, we've we've managed to grind out a win and field there, which is something that we've historically done very well. Um, and it's nice to see us, you know, get those sort of awkward wins after just being far too easy to tear apart. Even the 7-1 win um, against Rangers, their goal, it was like hot knife through butter. It was horrible. And since that happened, it seems that we've steadied up. I don't know what it was about conceding against Rangers, but we seem to have uh, really steadied up. And we're a defensive unit once again, and I hope we can continue that. Um, as I said at the beginning of, of, of the podcast, um I was I was a bit worried uh, because West Ham are not like Rangers in terms of, you know, I think it's fair to say a team that you beat seven one at home, at their home, uh are pushovers. I think that's fair to say. Um City, big occasion. West Ham, very difficult team to play in our backyard. And we managed to grind out the result. At the end of the day, it doesn't feel good. Um but we got the three points. They didn't um march on to the next game, Nottingham Forest, get another three points, keep going, get to that World Cup break in a in a Champions League spot, and all of a sudden the second half of the season is a case of how high can we finish? Not Christ, are we not gonna be in Europe next season? You know, so that's my take on it. Like, um <laughs> what did you make of it file anyway? I rambled on a bit there. Go on.
0: No, 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 no. It's all, all very interesting oh. points. I, I just wanted to quickly sort of touch on uh, Nunez again, I'm I'm Have a feeling we're going to be very obsessed with him in the coming weeks. Um, We've got a stat here from Squawker looking at his non-penalty xG per ninety in the Premier League, and he tops the list ahead of Erling Haaland zero point eight nine ahead of Haaland's zero point eight five, and then the drop off from then is zero point six six. Banford all the way down to the bottom of the list. Um, It's quite remarkable. We're we're looking obviously the goals don't reflect that Haaland freak of nature that he is, is is Selling at Manchester City and, you know, I think we more or less saw this coming even after the community so we said, you know, he's going to be fine. Don't you worry about that. Well, I mean, we won't be worrying about that. Um, but the underlying stats do suggest, I've suggested for a while that the goals were going to be coming uh, for Nunez and, you know, lo and behold, scored the match winner against West Ham. And I think from there, I think as a pure sort of form of, of a, as a confidence booster, that's going to be huge for Darwin Nunez, huge, no, knowing that, you know, it's, it's not just guessing on the score sheet, but when he gets on the score sheet, making a difference as far as the results are concerned, that's going to be absolutely brilliant for him. And obviously there's a little hamstring uh, problem. I believe Cops had in his press conference, the medical team are going to check out uh, before we face Nottingham Forest tomorrow. So hopefully that's not uh, too serious and that he can get some, some more minutes and hopefully another goal um, against uh, the Premier League's strugglers this season. Um, Nottingham Forest are coming up and they are bottom of the table but as we know in the Premier League you know you can't go in expecting to just trance uh, an opponent even one as horrifically out of form as uh, Steve Cooper's men. Um, how, how are you feeling about this one? Uh, it's an away visit of course which will present its own uh, challenges but there's, I think there's I suppose perhaps a form of mutual respect there as, as a club with a, a rich history that they're quite sort of separated from now uh, in the modern game, but I think there's still that sort of hint of respect there. Uh, how are you feeling coming into this one? Do you reckon it will be another sort of tense kind of one 0 or could you see the potential here for Liverpool to really stamp their authority in this game? Oh, uh, I don't know. It's it's a big question, Mark. Um,
1: whereas, you know, I think before the West Ham game, we knew it was going to be difficult. Whereas, like you say, Forrest, uh, toward the bottom of the table... Difficult to predict how they're going to perform. Just I think Fulham are probably the best example of it this season. Week to week, you do not know what Fulham is going to turn up. They could lose 3-0, they could win 3-0. You have no idea. Um, I think Fulham fans would probably argue it's more likely they'd lose 3-0. But, you know, having seen what they did to us this season, I think we could argue that it either could turn up. I think that's probably the same for Forrest. Um, but, you know, it's... I'm... I'm not too sure what to expect from from Forest. Is, is the short answer. It's, it is more of the case of what Liverpool turns up, I think. Um, that will dictate the game. If we go and perform like we did against West Ham in the second half, it's going to be another you know annoying game, but I feel like we'd be able to grind out. The result, regardless, I think the just the the difference in quality really would just show there. Um, but if Liverpool turn up and fancy it and perform like we did in the first half against West Ham, the ninety minutes against Man City, and the second half against Rangers, um, it, it could be quite the scoreline, I think, especially with Nunez getting a taste for goal scoring for Salah really coming into his own uh, after having. You know, for, for his stand at a relatively quiet start of the season. Don't forget, Roberto Firmino as well is is having a phenomenal season. I think, I think he's already uh, equaled or exceeded his um tally for goal contributions in the Premier League from last season. Not sure, exactly sure on the statistics there, but I was looking the other day, and it, it's either very close or he's already overtaken it. It's 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 one of those two. I know it's, I know it's close there, but I mean that's just what a season he's having as well. There's so many players that are enjoying a good season at Liverpool. Um, We just need to come together as a unit. And for the last three games, it seems that we have, you know, getting that one result against City, huge. And then getting another result similar to it against West Ham where we held on. The fact that we held on, um, you know, because West Ham are a very good team, um, is is so valuable. Um, And I think, I think we'll do well Basically, against Forest, a club, like you rightly say. Um, a lot of respect for, you know, huge history, a big club. Um, so, a lot of respect to be there. I'm sure going will mention it as well um, in, 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 his, in his match notes and, and things like that. Um, but, yeah, it, it really does matter what Liverpool turns up. Um, hopefully, um, we take it as seriously as we should do and we just try and do what we've done so well in the last few years and score early. Um, and then just, you know, try to dominate possession and then just see out the game. Nice professional, cohesive win. Get it done. Get over it. Build up those points. Break at the World Cup and then come back for the second half of the season and absolutely batter it and just see how high we can finish. You never know. Nothing is impossible. But just see how high we can finish. Get ourselves in that top four and then just keep pressing on um but yeah i think i think it'll be an interesting game against forest but ultimately i do think we'll have just a little bit too much quality for um for forest uh regardless of of which of the two teams actually turn up on the day but you know bottom of the table it's very hard to predict uh, stuff like that they'll be they'll be feisty they'll be up for it be a big game a big game for us big game for them um yeah i think uh I think it'll be an event, let's say that. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, what, what are your thoughts on it before
0: a ball's been kicked? Um, I, I mean, I, I think we'll win. I, I have a sneaky suspicion we'll win quite uh, comfortably. Um, I'll touch wood. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, it's, as you say, I think it's the kind of one, it very much depends which Liverpool sort of turns up. If we turn up and play the way we did against City, we will absolutely dominate. Um if it's the second half of West Ham, it's going to be a bit more of a struggle, a bit more of a nail biter um, stretch to that sort of hopeful one 0 victory that we can sort of build on again. Um, to answer your sort of earlier thoughts on Bobby Firmino, he's on so it's twelve goal contributions this season, fourteen appearances. And last season it was sixteen in thirty five, so he's four away from equalling last season's tally, which is absolutely bonkers. Um raises a lot of questions that we won't have time to answer today in terms of whether Liverpool should extend his contract. Uh, but certainly it's giving Klopp and his coaching staff a lot of food for 4 I'm 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 going to go with I'm going to go with a 3-1 win. Uh, what, what what's your uh, what, what are your thoughts?
1: I'm going to say 2-0. My my head says 2-1, but with the way that we performed defensively in the last game, I can see another shutout. So I think it'll be a it'll be an entertaining game. But I think 2-0 Liverpool, very very comprehensive win, I would say. I think it'll be very, very business-like.
0: No, well, absolutely. I'll, I'll bite your hand off for that scoreline. Uh, before we go, uh, we've, of course, had the senior editor of Flash Score here with us today, Steve Carson. Um, do you want to share any sort of exciting projects that you've got coming up with Flash Score? Anything that you'd like um, your readers to be keeping an eye out for in the weeks to come?
1: Yeah, of course.
0: Um, so, I mean, the first
1: thing is that I'm one of two uh, senior editors for the UK team. I also work alongside uh, Brad Ferguson. Uh, we have a great team. Um, we've got um, Anthony, Ali, and uh, Joel, uh, and you know we all work we all work very well together. Um, and we're a we're a young team. Uh, we've we've only just really started uh, the last couple of months. Um, so it's it's an exciting time Um flash score obviously i think people will already know it is a app on the phone where they can get scores and uh, where they can get um statistics on games uh, not just football but you know um rugby cricket whatever you whatever you like whatever your pleasing is um but yeah we we're now pushing the news side of things um soon we'll have an update on the app so that the news can be in the app nice and handily but at the minute you've got to go on the website. We'll sort of share stuff on Twitter and Facebook as well. So look out for stuff like that. But we're just gearing ourselves up for the World Cup at the minute. We're going to be doing a nice, big, comprehensive coverage of the World Cup. You know, I think everyone's looking forward to, to, to enjoying a nice bit of international football on on what is the biggest stage in the game. So, yeah, that's a look forward to. Um, but, yeah, no, all good. Um, and we, we occasionally write about Liverpool as well. Um, I certainly like to... Uh, take the reins on that uh, when I'm on always ship. a nice bonus yeah it's it's always good but I do I am unbiased I, I certainly try my absolute best to be unbiased so I always tell the the clear picture I won't be telling it from a Liverpool perspective but I do get a great deal of joy out of, out of covering the Reds on on such a you know, you know known platform it's it's brilliant so yeah no it's it's, it's great
0: uh, where where can we find you on on Flashscore um, in terms of social media and website? Yeah, I mean we have several um,
1: um, identities. Uh, basically, we have we have an office for each of the uh, international teams. Uh, there's a global dot com site and there's R1, which is the .co.uk. Uh, if you go to at Flashscore UK on Twitter, you'll find us. Um, could be a bit harder to find us on Facebook. We have a new page that's been set up, um, but uh, if you search for Flashcore UK, it should come up. We've got about 30 followers over there. We've not; we've only just started on Facebook. but we, we do have about 18,000 followers on, on Twitter, so there's a bit more fun to be had over there. Uh, and I certainly think that uh, a lot of Empire's followers uh, will be more familiar with Twitter than, than Facebook, perhaps. But maybe I'm wrong. I, I, I don't know. But we, we're on both. You can find us there. And obviously, if you go to UK forward slash news, you'll see all of our
0: stuff from myself, Brad, Joel, Ali, and well, there you go. You've heard it straight from Steve Carson. I've been your host, Farrell Keeling. If you are watching this live and you fancy rehashing some of the stuff that we've gone over, you can catch the full episode on our Substack. You can also catch it on whatever podcast you're listening to, Apple, anything, anything you're using, you can catch it right there and we'll of course be loading this straight straight to our socials rather uh twitter facebook and the like and youtube of course so keep an eye out for that thanks very much Steve, for jumping on and we have been the empire of the cop podcast take care